So uh, several, or a couple of years ago, uh, three summers ago, our family did a, an epic trip. Trip. We trip, not a trip. Trip. We drove from here all the way to Seattle and kind of uh, visited a lot of national parks back and forth. And one of the parks that we stayed at was Yellowstone. And on one particular day, we hiked to this place called Artist's Point. And if you've ever been there before, it's very obvious right away why they call this point Artist's Point. So from this high summit, you can look down this Canyon, and they call the canyon the Grand Canyon of Yellowstone. And you can look straight down that, and you see all these beautiful colors of the reds and the orange uh, stripes along the edge of the canyon. It's absolutely gorgeous. And on that day, the sky was bright blue. And so the Yellowstone River that carved, that, that carved that canyon just looked like this turquoise ribbon running through the bottom of it. And then if you followed that up, you would see this waterfall that was just roaring. All the way, as far as we could, as far as we were, we could still hear the roar of that waterfall. It's just absolutely gorgeous. And, when and so the sun was starting to cast these golden beams just all over the canyon itself and the summit where we were. There's wildlife that was scurrying around all over the place. There were chipmunks that were zipping back and forth, trying to find like fallen trail mix and then chasing each other back into their dens. If you looked up into the, the bright green trees, you'd see some desert birds up there singing their hearts out. And normally, I really, really don't like touristy, crowdy, crowded places like this, but something felt really different in this location. You could tell from people's clothing that they were coming from all over uh, the world. You could hear the languages that they were speaking, and everyone was just beaming with joy. It's like the environment itself had just soaked up into their hearts. And everywhere you went, people were just smiling. You know, the, the beauty was just emanating through everybody. You could see friend groups having picnics all over. You could see strangers offering to take uh, pictures of other families, you know, uh, as they do. People were being super polite with one another. And you could just hear strangers laughing with one another all over the place. The beauty of that moment was absolutely surreal. And if it wasn't for the long drive ahead that our family has, do you guys remember this day? Am I describing it accurately? Yeah, okay, good. I'm getting thumbs up here. Sometimes I'm accused of hyperbolizing after my sermons, so I want to make sure that I'm getting this one straight. It was a beautiful, gorgeous day. And if it wasn't for the long drive ahead of us, I think that our family would have stayed there much, much longer. Um, I wish that we probably would have brought a picnic up there. It was, it was really fun. So as I mentioned a couple of moments ago, this is the last Sunday in Epiphany. And as you recall, several weeks ago, a couple of months ago, Epiphany begins shortly after Christmas in Bethlehem when the three wise men come to visit and adore the Christ child. And since then, we've been journeying with Jesus throughout his rural Galilean ministry. We've heard Jesus announce the good news and the nearness of the kingdom. We've heard him call out fishermen and tax collectors and other ordinary people to come and follow him. We've heard Jesus cast out evil, heal the sick, and proclaim boldly and gently the forgiveness of sins to people around him. It has been a beautiful, beautiful season. The light of Christ is shining forth. And today, Epiphany culminates with the Feast of Transfiguration, up on this high and holy and mysterious mountain. 
And he invites three apostles to come up with him. And at the summit of that mountain, we see that the veil between heaven and earth is pulled back. This is a thin place. The apostles see the Son of God in all of his radiant, beautiful glory. Now, this is a complex story. There's a lot of ways that we could be looking at this story. Uh, There's different ways that I've preached on this myself the last couple of years, and we'll probably talk about it in different ways in future years. But for this year, this season, today, what I would like to think about as we contemplate the transfiguration of Jesus is how we see God's radiant beauty in this moment. How is this a beautiful moment? Because, friends, I think all of us are desperately hungry for beauty these days. I think that we have this thirst inside of us for beauty. It's been hard to see beauty over this last year or so. It's out there, sure. But I think that we're just parched and desperate for true encounters with beauty. Like that waterfall in Yellowstone, I think that we all want to bask in radiant glory, in happy fellowship, in creative splendor. We want to experience the characteristics of God in our daily lives. And the fact of the matter is that when we look at Jesus, we most clearly see the beauty of God himself. So what then, when we look at this passage, do we learn about divine beauty, pure beauty? Well, there's three aspects of beauty that I want us to talk about. Well, here in this story, starting at verse 3, we see that Jesus himself transforms. Uh, his, his skin transforms. His clothing transforms. He begins to radiate out this bright light. We're reminded of, of other heavenly appearances of, of creatures from heaven and how they also radiate light. We're also reminded of the end of the Bible in the, in the pages of Revelation where we read that Jesus himself again is reflecting out radiant light. And I wonder at the top of this mountain, I, I, I wonder how do you think Jesus' brightness, his radiance, would have affected the surrounding countryside? I wonder if maybe like beams of a setting sun, beams would be emitting out of him and sort of coloring everything around him, the trees, the, the, the other wildlife and things like that with a beautiful golden color perhaps. Or maybe like light reflecting out of a diamond. There'd be these bursts of colors just sparkling all over the place. I wonder how that surrounding landscape would have transformed alongside Jesus. I just can't help but think that that the beauty of Jesus would have just been spilling over and just kind of rippling out across the landscape. It would have been absolutely gorgeous to be there, wouldn't it? Well then, next to Jesus, appear two Old Testament figures, Moses and Elijah, Now, why these two? And there's much, much that could be said about why these two. But shortly, Moses represents the eternal law. And Elijah represents the the prophets who desired for so long for the Messiah to come and, and rescue all of humanity. And so here, Moses and Elijah are stepping forward from the past, and they're standing next to Jesus. Well, not only do we have individuals from the past... But we're also catching a glimpse of the future here. Now, this might sound a little, a little strange, a little sci-fi, so bear with me on this one. I, I love thinking about uh, encounters with God in the Bible in this sort of way. But some theologians believe that the Mount of Transfiguration, that at, that at this event, the disciples actually caught a glimpse of a different heavenly realm. 
One scholar points out the fact that God is the inventor of time. And in fact, he stands outside of time. Therefore, any encounter with God, any appearance with God, is an experience of the future, is an experience of eternity itself. One scholar, Catherine Tanner, for example, she believes that in this moment, the veil is lifted between heaven and earth, and the disciples are actually pulled forward into eternity. And so therefore, for all of us, as, we've been, as, as we're believers who have been baptized in Christ, we are in relationship to a God who is not in time. So what is it, what happens actually when we get really close to that kind of, of experience? When we get close to God, what happens in that moment? Why am I mentioning all of this? Why am I talking about all of this here? Because I believe that divine beauty is eternal. There is an eternal experience that happens here. At the Mount of Transfiguration, this is a thin place. Peter, James, and John, they come face to face with eternity in this moment. They see Jesus in his glorified form. They see dead saints coming up and emerging from the past. They see a heavenly cloud coming and surrounding them, and they hear the voice of the Father speaking out to them. They are having an encounter with eternity, which I think that should make sense to us, right? Because if you've ever had a a powerful encounter with beauty before, doesn't it seem like that in that moment you're sort of transported outside of time itself? Every now and then, uh, our church offers this event called Lectio Divina. Bill, uh, it was Bill Blansky's idea. You lead this uh, at the Minneapolis Art Institute, and it's a really fun experience. Of, I hope that we get occasions to do this again. But Bill invites us to go uh, and find a piece at MAI and sit in front of it for about 45 minutes or so. And every single time we do this, I'm just shocked at how quickly the time goes. It just feels like time itself evaporates away as you are are meditating on these beautiful art pieces. And I'm sure many of you have similar experiences yourself. So how much more, then, does this happen when you encounter the divine beauty of Jesus Christ? You see, the divine beauty is eternal. Well, we also hear in this story the voice of the Father. A cloud descends from heaven. The cloud is the glorious presence of God. And if you recall from the Old Testament, it was a cloud that led the Israelites through the wilderness. It was a cloud that enveloped all of Mount Sinai when Moses went up to receive the law from God. It was a cloud which descended upon Solomon's temple when it was dedicated revealing the glory and the presence of God. So it's in this cloud now at the Mount of Transfiguration that we see again the power and the glory of God the Father. And a voice speaks out from the cloud, declaring over Jesus, this is my beloved son. Now God doesn't say this of Moses. He doesn't say this of Elijah. He says it of Jesus. And what are the words that he says? He doesn't say, Jesus, you are the most wise teacher. You know so many good things. That's awesome. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Jesus, way to go. You've healed everybody. You are such a successful healer. You're doing a great job. No, he doesn't say that. He also doesn't say, you are the most loyal servant. You will do anything I ask you. That's wonderful. No, he doesn't call him a healer, a servant. He doesn't even call him a friend at this moment. He calls him his beloved son. Son. You see, at the heart of Christianity, 
is an eternal, loving relationship. The father is proud of his son, yes. He wants to be with him. He wants to spend time with him. He wants to verbalize and tell others that he loves his son. He wants others to hear this. In the relationship of the father and the son, we see eternal giving and eternal receiving. We see eternal communication and eternal listening. We see eternal guiding and eternal following. And this is a beautiful thing. You see, the second thing that we see about beauty here is that beauty is loving. Beauty is in a relationship. When we see love, we see beauty. We're attracted to it. Any act of beauty is an act of love. Now, this isn't a moment that is exclusive to the Father and the Son. And this is incredible. Jesus actually invites up to the mountain some of his closest friends. He wants them to partake in this. Now, later, the, uh, Jesus is going to be facing some very challenging things. He's going to descend from here, and he's going to, to start his ministry, is going to be pointed towards the cross. He's going to descend from this mountain. He's going to go to the holy city. He's going to stand before Pontius Pilate and be condemned, and he's going to be shamed and humiliated at the crucifixion. And so by witnessing this transfiguration, these three apostles, they're being built up. They're being encouraged. They're being able to to see a a glimpse into God himself and God's own mysterious character. And the amazing thing is that that opens up to us as well. You and I, friends, are also invited to glimpse into this loving relationship of God himself. In the waters of baptism, you are adopted into the household of God. Hear what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians. He says, God sent forth his own son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That's us, to redeem us. Why? So that you and I might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because we are God's children, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts so that we ourselves might cry out, Abba, Father that we might cry out, Abba, Father, ourselves. You see, we are in Christ. We get to partake in the same love of the Father. You know, one of the things that you'll read in the Anglican Book of Prayer over and over again in a lot of the beginning of the services is this phrase, dearly beloved. In fact, every marriage liturgy begins that way. Oftentimes, the minister refers to the congregation as dearly beloved. That's not something that the Anglican reformers just invented out of thin air. That comes from the Bible. We are the dearly beloved of God. We have been adopted into his family. And so when you hear the voice of the Father speaking over Jesus Christ, this is my beloved son or you are my beloved son, that is something that applies to all of us as the adopted children of God. You are the beloved son and daughter of God. It's just a profound mystery that we read over and over again in the Holy Scriptures. So divine beauty is loving. So as the story comes to a close, they start to dis- uh, we see that the, the cloud starts to, to dissipate and go away. In verse 8, we read, Suddenly the disciples see no one else around except Jesus only. We talk so much about that, Jesus only. And as they descend the mountain, Jesus charges his disciples to tell no one what they've seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. So Jesus doesn't want them to say anything about these magnificent events until the resurrection. So what does this tell us about the beauty of God? Well, it tells us that divine beauty 
Godly beauty, eternal beauty, loving beauty is always rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As glorious and as beautiful as this transfiguration moment is, it flows from and it points towards the resurrection. Without the resurrection, this event would be, it'd be incomplete. It'd be misinformed. They'd still be wondering, like, what's, what does this all mean? What does this point towards? And that's why Jesus says, wait until the resurrection, until you're fully able to describe this event. You see, the beauty of God isn't just about radiant light or voices from heaven and, and things like that. No, the beauty of God is also about the redemption of the cross. That God is the one who defeats darkness and vanquishes evil forever. The beauty of God is a declaration that death is not the final word. And that through the resurrection, all of us are invited into this abundant life with Christ. We receive his invitation at the table. Paul says this again in 2 Corinthians. And we all with unveiled faces, no more masks, (laughs) with unveiled faces, Beholding the glory of the Lord, we will be transformed into the same image. That word transformed is the same word that's used to describe what Jesus' transformation is. You and I, through God's grace, will be transformed into that same image from one degree of glory into another. And this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now this is only possible through the power of the resurrection. So divine beauty is fueled and filled by the resurrection. So friends, like I said earlier, this world is absolutely starving for beauty. Now, even on a superficial level, if we go outside right now, like it's, it's no Yellowstone Park out there at this moment. Uh, it's, it's rather cold. Uh, I know that we have a friend here visiting us from California today. It probably looks a little different here than it does in California right now. Uh, Everything just seems to be like caked in this thin layer of corrosive salt and and everything's sort of this shade of of gray and it just looks kind of gross. No offense if you love winter. I know that there can be a beauty to all the snow and everything. It's not necessarily inspiring out there. And also with with us having to wear masks all the time, it's just, it's heartbreaking because I can't see everyone's beautiful smiles uh, the other day, Pastor Christian at Cross was teasing me because he, he came to Restoration one Sunday when I just kind of goofily, I don't know, in my opening welcome, I said, it's so lovely seeing everyone's pretty smiles today. And he said, Rick, that's the cheesiest thing I've ever heard a pastor say from the pulpit. But today I'm like, man, I wish I could see everyone's just beautiful smiles. I'm so hungry for that. I want to see your guys' full faces. But even more uh, substantially than that, if we were to turn on the news or, or just skim through the headlines, there's just an ugliness that's going on throughout our world right now. You know, all of us, I think, can admit to that. And then this last year, I think even when we look within our own hearts, we see the need for beauty. Like, who among us, over the course of this last year, in the midst of this despair and, and solitude that we've all been thrusted into, Like, who among us hasn't discovered something within our own hearts that's just been regretful, to say the least? You know, something that that we're just not proud of. You see, friends, all of us are longing for beauty. Beauty outside, beauty within, we're longing for beauty. And so I invite all of us, especially as we head into this season of Lent, 
As we ourselves start to walk with Jesus and walk with him on his journey to Jerusalem, may this be a season where, where we're pushed and we're, we're, where we just thrust ourselves more into contemplating the beauty of God. I pray that we will step into, as we step into this ancient Christian practice of Lent, that we might contemplate more deeply God's beauty. Our church is going to be offering several events over the next few weeks, uh, several opportunities for us to, to contemplate the beauty of God. One of them uh, is Andrew Preston is going to be teaching a series on heresies. And heresies themselves are not beautiful. Those, they're, they're bad. You know, don't, get, don't hear me wrong on that. But we're going to be contrasting those with the truths of God. We're going to be using these as an experience to, to lean more fully into the, the truth that we encounter, the beautiful truth that we encounter about God himself. On Sunday nights, we're going to be having times of Compline prayer, which in my opinion is one of the most beautiful prayer services that we have in our prayer book. We're going to be joining together on Zoom and closing out Sundays through that beautiful prayer service, pushing ourselves into the character and peace of God. And then also we'll be approaching Holy Week, uh, arguably the most beautiful week of the church calendar. And this year, we're going to be doing an Easter vigil for the first time. It's going to be here in this room. I'm so excited to do an Easter vigil here. And we're going to be asking a lot of you to get involved as, as actors and, and um, set designers and all sorts of fun, creative ways that all of you can express the beautiful gifts that God has given you so that we can reflect God's beauty to our own congregation and to those who we invite to participate with us. These aren't events just to fill the calendar. No, these are invitations for us to encounter the beautiful one, to encounter the God of grace, the God of justice and peace and truth and wisdom and resurrection. That's what we're going to be diving into this Lent. So I hope that perhaps even for a split second, we're able to get a taste of eternity as we contemplate the beauty of God. I pray that all of us are able to hear the loving voice of the Father proclaimed over us at various points. And then also, we, may we be plunged into the, further, in, into the deepest depths of God's grace as we contemplate the mystery of the cross. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, we live in a world that has been um, scarred and marred by us. Uh, we have rebelled against you, and we have um, just made a mess of this place. But you are the gracious one. You are the powerful one. You are the loving one. You are the God who stands outside of time, and you ripped open the heavens, and you stepped into our world. You clothed yourself in flesh. And so, Jesus Christ, we ask that, especially as we prepare ourselves to approach um, or to contemplate your mysteries throughout Lent and as we approach the mysteries of the cross, may we encounter you, the beautiful one. May you heal our souls once again, Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in your name and for your glory that we pray these things. Amen.